this episode, I'm joined by Carl Day, who's Director of Sales and Marketing at Apogee. And we had a really interesting conversation as part of the GSSI research initiative, exploring about what he is finding are to be some of the key changes in the way that we're now approaching sales, given the COVID environment in which we're now having to live in. And again, I really hope you enjoy this episode. Let's start with the foundational questions, you know, to begin with. So, um, so Carl, if you could just describe the selling function in your company. Yeah, sure. So it, we, the, the sales as a function, we is split in two. Um, one half that I'm not responsible for is our public sector team, which is a, a, a collaboration between Apogee and um, HP Direct. That sits outside of what we do. Um, our, the, the private sector um, is split into sort of four key areas, um, that being uh, an inside sales team that is split between business generation, account-based marketing, um, and also they also handle our, our transactional clients. So they handle the small small clients that don't really have a propensity to, to, to sort of take all the products and services we do. It tends to be one office with one, one product and, and they want to be dealt with in a transactional way. They're, they're held, handled by the telephone account management team. Um, then we have a commercial sales team, um, which is about 80 people. And those guys are looking after all of our sort of mid-market clients, um, up to 70 million turnover, um, geographically sort of located. So we've got three regions across the UK. Um, and those guys are, are basically, they're, they're targeted on a combination of new business and, and, and existing account farming. Um, and then we have a strategic team of about 20 people, uh, those guys look up at the sort of 70 million plus accounts. Um, they also have a lot of wraparound team, you know, client liaison execs, um, and and that their works a lot deeper in with the client. They tend to look after clients that do have much more requirement for um, you know a host of services that we provide. And then we've got a small enterprise team who look after the the sort of high end. Um, FTSE 100 and global accounts. Um, so all in all, there's about 155 in the sales function. Um, and as I say, we, we've now sort of split that into sort of lead generation, pre and post sales support, and, and then account management. Um, yeah, thank, thank you. Um, perhaps you could give an idea of how, how many sort of accounts in total does your sales organization look after i mean roughly i know you've got we, thousands. we have about sixteen thousand um accounts right. uh, across across the uh different sectors um that's excluding public sector so yeah. we're about yeah sixteen thousand, um and they range literally from um household names you know global companies down to small independent one-man band type organizations brilliant so um how would you well perhaps you could describe your market it, it well i guess we're we're fairly i'd say we have the luxury that we have uh, we, we we provide products and services that every business has a requirement for 
So, you know, whether you're, let's say, whether you're a, a, a sort of one man, one man accountancy um, business through to, you know, global organization with tens of thousands of staff, everyone has a requirement for the products and services we sell. Um, we, we are like a lot of um, workplace services companies, we have a fairly diverse portfolio of products and services. Um, so, you, you know, we, we tend to find that in certain sectors, um, certain verticals, um, certain products are stronger. So we have uh, an outsourcing division who um, more latterly through COVID have, have seen a, a big increase in digitization of, of their paper um, and also um, mail optimization for you know digitalization of incoming outgoing posts. And those tend to be led vertically. Um, so rather than, you know, we span all, all verticals, all clients, mm. you tend to find the products and services that we sell tend to lean themselves more to verticals. Um, and then you tend to find those salespeople that become more successful, get, gain more experience in those verticals, tend to stick in that mm. sort of hunting area. Um, but yeah, we, we, have, we do have the luxury of, of having just about every business in the, in the UK as a, as a target. So it might be a good idea just to expand a bit on what it, what exactly it is you're selling. You know, what are yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so Apogee are, are um, a, a wholly owned business um, by uh, HP Inc. Um, but we stand alone as, as an independent provider of what would have traditionally been called managed print service. Um, but in the last sort of five years has, has really evolved into a more workplace services um, offering. So we will offer anything from, as I say, anything from a, a desktop printer um, to a fully managed print service. We offer outsourced services around post and back scanning, um, as well as, you know, high end production print fulfillment. Um, and then in more, in more latterly, we've started to move into workplace services. So anything that sits around a desktop, um, be it a laptop, PC, um, peripherals, we're starting to manage those on behalf of our clients. Um, and then there's the, the more bespoke offerings we offer, you know, around workflow um, and those type of uh, offerings. Mm. Um, and, and that's probably part of an area of business that, that started to grow on the back of uh, on the back of the pandemic really where we're finding ourselves trying to fill the gap because we again we're fairly unique that we have the infrastructure of a field service operation um, a national field service operation a national sort of delivery and supply infrastructure mm. so we're finding that we're getting more involved in in sort of the more customized workplace service um, situations to create, you know, all sorts of different efficiencies in, in terms of paper reduction um, and, and process optimization. And who, who would be your main competitors? Um, <clears throat> as an independent, we don't, again, we, we, we are the largest independent in Europe. Um, <clears throat> and we, even though we're owned by HP, um, we still class ourselves as an independent because we're multi-brand. Um, we have, you know, we 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 maintain the agility of 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 a privately owned business, albeit we're we're publicly owned. 
So our, our main competitors in terms of that are more the manufacturers, so um, Xerox, uh, Ricoh, um, and then you've got the, you know, we're starting to move into the territory of SCC and, and those sort of um, VARs and, and larger type um, outsource companies that, that offer a whole range of sort of outsourced and print services. Mm. Brilliant. So um, where do you recruit your sales people <clears throat> from and um, and how do you train them? I think I can answer that question a bit. <laughs> I, can, well, I guess I'll answer that in two stages because yeah. prior to me joining the organisation, I think a lot of recruitment was done via um, recruitment agencies, headhunters, um, and, and, you know, industry specialists. Um, but I think over the last sort of 16 months, um, there's been so much evolution going on the business that our, our recruitment has become a little bit more organic. <clears throat> so we're, you know, we've, we've been very, I guess, the, our, the, the transformation of our business has been very public. Um, in that, you know, we've obviously, um, we're, we're a publicly known business, particularly in the industry. So more latterly, our, our recruitment has been done by um, people coming to us. We've now got a pipeline of, of talent that, you know, we have um, almost waiting for opportunity. And, and, the, and to, to one, the reason I say that is because that answers the second question is that over the past 18 months, we've um, we've uh, invested heavily in, in a sales transformation program and a behavioral change program, whereby we're developing our salespeople to start to sell the organization as opposed to selling a service. So like a lot of organizations that have multiple products and, and, and multiple services, salespeople tend to sell what they feel comfortable selling. Um, so we've changed the behavior or we're, we're driving the behavioral change where our salespeople introduce the firm, understand what their clients' goals and aspirations are. Um, and then we sort of wrap around our services to help them achieve their goals. So all of the development that we've put in place is to facilitate that, that transformation. Um, we've also looked at sales skills. So we've split it into different areas where we're approaching the, the sort of immediate with um, sort of some more traditional sales skills on how to engage with the client, how to be more effective through social media and, and written communication down to how to handle modern objections and how to position your organization. Um, then, um, as you know, we're working on a longer term behavioral change program where we've introduced the mindsets to the salespeople and we're overlaying, you know, uh, more of a, a client-led development program. So, you know, client-based research on what they want, how we can add value. Um, that's made up part of the longer term sort of development program to try and enable our salespeople to think differently and position themselves differently. Um, and then finally, we've, We've scrapped the, the sort of more traditional um, carrot and stick uh, command and control type leadership um, and replaced it with a sort of coaching, 
or coaching-led um, leadership with focus on, you know, lead rather than lag measures. We've invested in some, some tools that underpin that. Um, and again, the training and development has taken the, the sales leadership through that journey. So all, all, all of that in tied in with the, you know, the very sort of public objectives that we've set our business and, and the um, goals that we have, I think mm. we've become an attractive proposition to, to sales talent. So, you know, whereby one of the challenges that face many people in our industry, because it is a very sort of niche industry and very saturated, is the recruitment of talent. I think we've now started um, to have talent coming to us, um, mm. which is obviously, it's a nice position to be in, but it's also heartbreaking when you don't have an, you don't have an opportunity for someone who is is obviously approaching you who is mm. clearly a very talented person. So it, it you know it's it's a nice problem to have, and I guess yeah. a lot of people would like to have that problem. Um, and I guess the last piece of that is we want to make everything we do um, sustainable. Um, so you know, with regards to our whether from business generation through to you know um, farming and developing our accounts using our own talent. Um, so the last piece of that is sort of into the next 12 months was then starting to look at how we can onboard fresh talent mm. um, and, and train and develop the people we want rather than, you know, the traditional way of having to recruit for a combination of talent and experience. We're looking at over the next 12 months of how we can sort of recruit the right characteristics and values within our, our recruits and, and then teaching them uh, the way to sell in, in, or teaching them in the way we want them to sell and engage with our mm. That's great. I think some of, the, uh, some of what you described earlier covers this next question, which is about you know, what is the sales kind of process? Mm. You know, what, what, what would be a typical sales engagement process? Um, you've talked about sort of customer-centric approach perhaps for your account managers and you've also talked about some of the um, objection handling and questioning skills and things like that um, what would be your you know uh, your your you know if you were to describe your sales methodology approach what what would it you know what would it be what what would be your I think we we, we have um, I guess the methodology we have now is is it's, it's about value add. So, you, you know, obviously being a, an HP company, um, integrity and, and longevity of the relationship is key to us as a business. Um, so, again, we took the goals of the organisation in that, you know, sustainability and relevance through our sales force is key. Mm. Um, so our, our approach to all of our clients um, is one of, of value add. So, you know, it, it, in terms of understanding their business, and, and I think that's something that we've, it's probably blindingly obvious when you say it, to understand the client's business before you can really truly add value, but to, to retrain or to, to, to get experienced salespeople to sit and listen, even when they see an opportunity to jump in, is, is, is really not as easy as it sounds. So I think our, our methodology is, is one of 
of, of you know, curiosity, um, curiosity in our client, engaging, um, you know, in, in a trusted relationship, um, uh, you know, to ultimately add value through our, our products and services. And I think, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the question that, that I would challenge every single one of our salespeople with is that, you know, to, to walk away from, from engaging with a client and, and maybe selling a contract of, of and it is to ask yourself, how have I added value and, and will that client come back to us? Um, so, you know, it, that, that to me has kind of been a real, it, I guess it's, it, it's I'm probably not explaining it how, how I want it to come yeah. out, but it's, it's very much about, you know, it, people tend to look at, at print or, or as, as a, a, transactional, a yeah. transactional service. And I think, you know, the lack of understanding of, of how, how we can help a business, not just with print, but with workflow. So to, to, to engage in that way to me is, has been the most important is to understand what your client's objectives and, and are um, and goals are and then and helping them achieve them. So it's I've probably not answered that in the way yeah. I would really want. Well, to. no, I think you've raised a, um, a, a really good point, which is, um, you know, one of the questions here is about determinants of successful selling. And I think mm -hmm. for me, you would define the determination of successful selling as being um, the, uh, the trust that's built up between your organization and the customer, the repeat purchase, you know, the, um, the relational side uh, of the sales journey, yeah, a, a, a sort of underpinning that long-term success. Uh, yeah, and I think that trust, trust comes, you know, obviously in many ways, but primarily by doing what we say we're going to do. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I think from from our point of view, that the the determinant of success is is. I guess the ultimate determinant is is a referral, or is you know your client when 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 a client or a, a a an individual from a client moves on and and then takes you to to an organisation, mm. and I think also for me outside of that is is I think I want my salesforce to challenge. I want my salesforce to not just this is going to sound wrong, not just give the client what they want, but I want them to challenge what they're saying they want and, and you know, and, and, and give them ideas. Um, because to me, it's, it's like anything. If we become part of what helps them achieve their goals, then, then we become, you know, a, a, a valued partner. Yeah. And, and there's probably a lot of cliches wrapped up in what I've just said, but, I think you know it's it, it comes back to people, people buy from people, and and obviously there's relationships are important, but only as far as that you need to still add value because you've got to remember that the, your client, the person you're selling to, the team you're selling to, the individual, is that they're there to do a job and they're there to add value to their own organisations. Um, so, so yes, it's going beyond just building a sort of trusted relationship, but it's actually providing that, you know, that challenge, those those um, new ideas, different ways of of looking at problems, which yeah. Yeah. which um, it, you know, in a 
in a client focused way, um, which, which, you know, which is what clients are looking for, perhaps uh, from absolutely. you. And, uh, and yeah. I guess it's, it's, it's probably easier if I give you an example. And, and you know, yeah. so if we if we go into a client and they say, we, we have um, an order system and, and every time an order comes out, it spits a piece of paper out and then the client signs it. And so, you know, rather than the, 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 the account manager saying, well, okay, we can provide you with the equipment and it will speed up the process or you don't need the three leaf, we can send one off internally, electronically, actually saying, well, why do you need paper in the first place? Why not, why not have sign on glass? you know or, or you know yeah. just give them educate them through our own experience and and throughout the you know other sectors um and, and again I, I think that's that's something that we adds real value to a relationship when you've when you've educated them or or made yeah. them aware of new technologies new ideas um and other ways of, of achieving their goals that's brilliant Okay, so I'm going to move on to the situational questions yep. now. So um, what do you see as the main opportunities and challenges facing your sales organisation? Um, do, you, do you mean as in the, the sales function or the organisation as a whole? I think the organisation as a whole. So, I mean, we obviously we are a sales organisation. <laughs> so I think from an industry perspective, uh, there are many challenges. Obviously, if, if even taking out COVID, which has been a challenge to, to just about everyone, mm. um, it, it, the the challenge to our industry is obviously technology is the pace of technology, less reliance on paper, um, and more trust in in sort of electronic documents. Um, has obviously been a big change because our core product has always been um, print. So I think that that's been a, um, an, a sort of an industry challenge. Um, but I think that's also been a, for an organisation like us, which is backed by HP and, 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 and still an agile um, and a driven business, it's also presented us with an opportunity. Um, I would say probably... The biggest challenge for a sales organization such as us is the ability on the speed at which you can have your salespeople adapt, adapt to, to selling new technologies, adapt to multiple service selling. Um, you know, and I think that's that's been a challenge that's faced sales for probably a number of decades. Mm. Um, and I think out, out, outside of that, you know, and, and, and more sales challenges is still the, the lack of definition of what good sales looks like. Um, you know, and I think that's, that's, a, that's been a, an identity crisis of sales for, for many a year that, you know, where does sales start and end? You know, and, and I think that the lack of definition around that has, has led to, you know, the, the probably the, the huge disparity in sales skills and sales behaviour. Um, so I think that will always be a challenge because until there is a more of a design, defined set of rules and procedures that mm. sales tends to operate by, um, you know, which, again, is probably values-driven, um, 
that will always be a challenge to the profession. Mm. But as I say, in terms of an organisation such as ours, I would say that our biggest challenge is, is the speed of change and, and our ability to, to keep up with that, that mm. pace, um, particularly with such a large sales force. I'm really interested in what you just said, because I, I remember a number of years ago, there was a Forrester um, article that said that the gap between strategy and execution in the field, um, as far, and this was CEOs complaining about the speed of change in the sales organization, and it was about 18 months, meaning that you, you, know, you, set, you set out a new vision at the board level and and which could be that we need to move from on-premise to cloud or in your case it might be from selling um mfp you know solutions to Hmm. workplace services or whatever it might be so you've got a pretty fundamental change going on um but i was always struck by this 18 month you know this this gap you know, that, that's quite a long time to wait before you started to see, yes, this is where we're going. This is the vision. And then starting to see the tanker move, you know, moving direction. Mm. Um, you've, I don't, you've not been at Apogee that long, Carl. I mean. Uh, it's 15 months now. 15 yeah. months. So yeah. you've come in, you've sort of spent your first maybe 30 30, 60 days sort of understanding the business and, 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 and knowing that you were going to change, but perhaps not communicating what the vision was going to, to look like. Mm. Uh, we've had the pandemic hit you sideways <laughs> as yeah. well, sort of, which, which has also been a factor, a disruptor, if you like, in the market. We'll come back to the pandemic in a minute. But um, if you were... If you were to put months on a time on from you know setting a vision to execution in the field, what what would your gut feel say about how long it's going to take you to see your sales force implementing the vision that you're sort of building? You know, I think we'll come back to the pandemic because I think that's actually sped up okay. that process. Right. I would. I would even argue, I would challenge the 18 months and say, on a sales force of the size we have, to be able to introduce a new product, change direction, and have your sales force proficient in delivering what what would be regarded as a successful sales number would actually be 18 months to two years. Yeah. And that, that is always our challenge because... Very few businesses have that patience and very few businesses have that real understanding at an executive level of what it takes to achieve that. And and it's a little bit, you know, like the football or the sporting analogy of when a coach comes in with these amazing ideas, which they must have told the the organisation in the recruitment process, and the naivety that so much will change in, in such a short space of time. Because when you're changing, when you're changing from sale from such a in such a fundamental way, you're not just changing behavior, you're having to break habits, you're having to change your culture, 
you're really having to, to sort of rebuild it and, and to do that and then be successful and, and compete with people who are already experienced in that sector. It, to, to do it in, in under 18 months, I think mm. it, it, it would be it would be very, very difficult. Mm. Um, and I'm talking more, you know, from, from a more technical sale, obviously. Yeah. Um, but even in even in a transactional market, you know, you've got to understand the market. You've got to be experienced and credible and ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and I think for, before before a sales force has that sort of confidence, it, it, it you know, it really does take a lot of work, a lot of patience and a lot of understanding from the business, mm-hmm. um, which is why coming back to me being um, probably the luckiest person, one of the more lucky people with the timing or, or the pandemic is having COVID arrive at a time when I came into the organisation to change exactly what you've said, to change the way our salespeople sell, to mm. change their behaviour, change the culture, the management culture. I've had the luxury of no one looking at the number while I do it um, because more often than not, when you come in and you you, you, you want to change a business in life, as soon as the re- people start to panic when they're not seeing the result because they make the result the the lag and 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 what yeah. happened is you can't measure the, res- the the results of the change in the certainly the first six months are are small sort of behavioral changes you know that it's not going to be a number and and because sales has always traditionally been judged on a number um when they don't see that number change or they don't see that pipeline build, no one else is looking at the those the met the, the soft metrics around mm. how what are the questions your salespeople are asking, how are they behaving in front of their clients, what sort of engagement, how are they making the clients feel? So I think having the pandemic take the focus away from the number um, has actually aided what we've done. Um, and I think it's it's only now people are starting to say, okay, well, what's the result from this work? And, and naturally, we're starting to see that in that we've got pipelines growing quicker in our what we would traditionally call our non-core products and services than it is in our core products and services. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's, it's something I, I think that, you know, sales is normally, if it's lucky enough to be represented on a board, or an executive leadership team, it is normally the only representation or, or experience in sales. So, yeah, I think there's normally a lot of things that are overlooked by uh, companies in that way. Mm-hmm. So um, can I just ask a, a question about the pandemic? Aside from yeah. the opportunity it's given you, and it's, it's very interesting because I'm not sure how many other organisations out there uh, don't look at the number you know, in, in the same and, and therefore have the space that you've had, you know, to affect some of the changes in, in your business. But from outside of that, what other effects have you seen on the sales organization of the pandemic on your sales teams in terms of perhaps mental well-being and, you know, motivation levels and so on? I think probably without doubt, the mental impact on the sales forces 
has been, it's had more impact on the sales force than probably anywhere else in the business. Because, you know, salespeople live there, their, their entire sort of week is, is around meeting, traveling, moving, speaking to people, building relationships, um, collaborating, and, and every single tool that they had to do their job has, has pretty much been taken away with them from them. Um, and, and I've seen it probably, and I can't even say that it's, it's, you know, it's probably hit the younger guys in a different way than it's hit, hit the older guys. Mm. But all of it is manifested in, certainly, it, you know, emotionally and mentally. Um, and even myself, I've found myself becoming a little bit negative and at, at times and and it's because i think you you're not taking those breaks to away from what you're doing to think and and or taking a break from thinking um because you're 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 effectively at work from the second you sit in your you know your home office and switch on your laptop you're at work until the time you switch it off and you don't stop, you don't take that break, you don't have the opportunity to go and make a cup of coffee and start chatting to someone about the issue or the problem you've got. So we've, um, again, around that, we've I've seen that impact the guys. Again, probably not as much as it would have impacted had we not had the development programme in place at the same time. Mm-hmm. We've also um, introduced... Um, I would I would call him a resilience mentor for our, our sales team in in the form of um, Baz Gray, who, who you know personally, mm. who who is um, you know uh, an ex Royal Marine, a decorated Royal Marine, um, and and a polar explorer. Um, so someone who's very very well versed and experienced in 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 isolation um, and also has a huge amount of tools um, for resilience and, 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 and exactly what a lot of people are going through now. And so we've been lucky enough to have Baz on, on, um, on our team and, and he's been working with us for sort of three or, three or four days a month where he'll spend time with people that are struggling. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I think that, looking at a positive from the pandemic it's made us all all so much more aware of of keeping our mental health um, and keeping you know well-being uh, as you know our our asset in this business is people we're not a manufacturer um apogee doesn't manufacture anything so our product our our product is is manufactured by the people who who add value to our clients the people who speak to our clients you know to resolve Mm -hmm. issues so to me, the, the, there should be no, no end to what you do to optimize mm. asset and, and take care of that asset. Um, so I think it's, again, that's the pandemic has kind of really, it's, it's, it's probably moved mental health um, and understanding around mental health forward as much as, you know, people talk about the, the pandemics moved um technology forward sort of some you know depending on yeah. what, between four and seven years 
I would say that the pandemic has brought forward by a similar amount the understanding mm. of mental health and not to fear it or not to look at it as a limiting factor. It's something that, you know, every organisation can help their staff, their staff with. So it, it has had an impact, absolutely no doubt about that. Um, and, and I think when we had a brief moment of going back to the office last summer, we saw activity, not results, but we saw activity go through the roof. So we saw mm. activity, productivity around the sales function go through the roof. Um, and then the second we went back into lockdown, it dropped again. So, so it, interesting. It, yeah. it, it absolutely is. And I think you know, there's no reason because the, there's still a telephone, there's still ways to communicate with clients. But I think that, you know, it, that, that's been a big, big, big part. Not, and, 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 and to the wide, wider organisation. Um, but I think because, because of the nature of the role we do, it's been very difficult to, to do it in the way we've had to try that's brilliant. Now, this may be slightly more um, difficult um, for you to answer because it's a question about how you would see selling in the UK is maybe different to other parts of the world. And I'm not sure if you've got a point of view on that. Or... Um, I, I, well, I do. I do, actually, because obviously you had a brief sabbatical for. Oh, yes, of course. Um, and yeah. work for an American organisation. Um, where sales was led from the US. Um, and, and more latterly, I've been working with um, Apogee Germany um, okay. to, to, to build and develop a sales function there. So I, I would say, um, and I would say that, wouldn't I? But I think we're, we're close in certainly sales in in this country as as a profession and, and i think has, has come on in the last 10 years i think there's a lot more understanding about the effectiveness of sales um and i think that selling in this country is still it's still regarded as a dark art um whereas when you look at the more successful people that i've worked with that actually is the complete opposite. They're, those people are the ones that have a good understanding of the organisation that they're selling for. They have a good organ understanding of the organisation they're selling to, and they're able to clearly communicate that and how they can affect that. So I would argue that, that selling is not a dark art. It's, it's actually the complete opposite. It's a successful salesperson is about communicating well Mm. building trust but culturally uh, i saw a huge difference in the u.s in that it is still very um it the the, the point or, or i guess the metric of success in the u.s is still very much around profit mm. it still, it, you know the only factor that that salesperson is judged on is how much profit they make as opposed to you know, the retention of a client or their ability to turn a, a, a you know, a complaint into a positive or resolve mm. an issue. Um, and they are, of course, all the things that make a salesperson successful. Um, and then I think the complete, the complete opposite end of the spectrum in that culturally in, in 
certainly in, in the, the short period of time I've worked in Germany is is sales is still very much a sort of a, a telling function. Mm. Um, and and I guess probably maybe a little bit different in our organization in that it's 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 I say telling, I mean consulting. It's it's not it's not as sales, it's not as as it's more of a consultancy type role in that you know they're, they're in our industry there is a lot less commission it's more you know the the remuneration is more around the salary and a lot less around mm. commission it's you know bonuses tend to be on the performance of the company rather than the individual performance mm. which i think in many respects is 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 a is a good step because it does it does foster the right behavior um but again, I think it, it's ultimately the the success, whether it's in you know certainly in the in the countries I've worked for um, or companies I work for in different countries, success the 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 difference in sales is is what success looks like and how success is measured. Right, um, and I would say that's probably. You know, if you take out the cultural differences, obviously in, in Germany it's still very formal. Everyone yeah. Mister and and you know when when we go and we start calling people by their first names, it's it's obviously very very alien to them. Um, but equally in the US, I would say it's it's a little bit more relaxed. I think the US are it, it, it a lot more accepting that people will make money out of you and you know there's nothing wrong in trying to maximize the amount of money mm. someone makes out of you in the uk trying to make too much money out of a person or an organization is is a fast way to a loss of trust where mm. in in the us it's seen that the sales guys done their job well Interesting. Um, I, I, there's probably a whole host of people that disagree with me, and I guess obviously it's a very subjective subject, isn't it? It's not, yeah. Well, I think that's what they want. It's just it's your based point on of your view. experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, I think you've talked about the UK coming on quite well over the last ten years. This final question is: What should the world know about selling in the UK? Um. Wow, uh, I, that, I, I, keep, I keep looking at that question, thinking how, how would I answer that? And I guess you, coming back to the last point, that sales is probably a profession that's fairly unique in that. I think sales, the sales, or the the the, the methodology of sales and the approach of sales is almost a reflection of the society in that country in the way that you engage because it's a very social profession so you know what works socially in 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 the uk in terms of selling won't work socially in another country so i would say my my tips or, or my opinion on what makes selling different is that you know we are we are still a very um trust-based environment i think also, selling in in this country it probably varies very much from from um, industry to industry, but but selling in our country is still is still almost a um, it's not a respected profession. 
Um, it's almost a profession that people go into where they believe they can earn money without having a qualification. Um, and, and I think we're, we're different. You know, when I, when I did my own studies, a lot of countries do see sales as, as more of a, you know, a vocation and a profession that, that is, is sought after and respected. Um, yeah, God, I, I, I really don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I can answer that question. <laughs> That's okay. No, it's, it's, uh... Yeah, it, 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 there's probably more similarities in, in, in terms of selling than there are differences. Yeah. I thought that you might have sort of explored the idea of this professionalization theme because, you know, like you say, in the in the last 10 years, it's come on pr pretty well. We have the, um, you know, the APS and the, you know, now, now acquiring the Institute of Sales and Management and working towards chartership status. And we've got the education side, which has now come on, which other countries simply don't have. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think that, that's probably, again, coming back, that's probably an evolution of, yeah. of, of the profession. I think, again, I come back to, to your question earlier, and sales is blamed for a lot of, um, <clears throat> a lot of ills in, in, in organisations. You know, certainly it bore the brunt in, in and around the financial sort of mis-selling Mm. always called mis-selling but again i think it that's an education that organizations need to learn that when you set individuals totally unrealistic targets and goals um mis-selling occurs mm. you know it's it, it, it's not inherent in all of us to to try and dupe or or mislead people or even mis-sell but when you make when you make their earning dependent on it and when you set such unrealistic goals and targets for i don't mean people i mean organizations that that behavior mm. becomes endemic and and i think that what you're seeing is is sales is retaliation of that you know you're seeing people and, and like you say, institutions and, and education that sales has created for itself to show that actually, you know, we, we are, we're only delivering the goals that are set by the organisations we work for. And if those mm -hmm. goals are, 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 are difficult to achieve and unachievable, then unfortunately, um, that, that kind of thing happens. So, yeah, it's a shame that sales has had to create that for itself, but I guess when you look at other sort of chartered organizations there's probably similar things that have led to that um and it's a shame that it does take you know these these the sort of bad situations like you know obviously false accounting for legislation yeah. and laws to come in to stop that from happening or or, or you know compliancy rules um but again i think we've we've started for the first time in the UK to police ourselves through those type of organisations. Mm. And that can only be a good thing. That can only be a good thing for the profession. It can only be a good thing for clients because obviously we're going back to a time where a salesperson is seen as a profession or an advisor in their particular field. Um, and, and, you know, we're going back to the salesperson is educating and 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 helping a client to achieve a 
task or a goal, then, then again, it can only be a good thing for our profession. Brilliant. Well, Carl, I think we're, we're just about approaching the hour and thank you so much. I look forward to uh, look forward to hearing what the other people's uh, thoughts and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, thinking is around those parts. Brilliant. So what's your selling approach like? Are you selling in a way that your customers want to be sold to? From our research, only 10% of salespeople sell in a way that customers want. But what do customers want when they're being sold to? It's no secret that here at Consalia, we've embedded the sales values and mindsets that customers want to see in salespeople into everything we do, from our sales business school through to our sales transformation offering. So how do you know whether or not you've got them? We have a very simple mindset survey to see if you possess these key values. It's really straightforward to use, will only take a few minutes to complete, and you'll be sent your results straight after. You may be just a bit surprised at the results yourself. Check out the show notes at the end of this podcast episode. What you do with the results next is your choice. We're happy to dive deeper into these results to discuss what they mean, or even explore the idea of finding out if your customers see these key values in your approach.